1: We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Moson.
2: And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. David Carr, NFL Network Analyst, former NFL Quarterback. And uh, he joins us now. The uh, Thursday night game, by the way, Cowboys without their head coach, Mike McCarthy against the Saints on Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime Video. And David, kind enough to join us. Um, How important is that head coach when you make your decision to go play?
4: Oh, It's extremely important. I mean, you've seen when Lincoln left Oklahoma, how many top five recruits and just five stars said, yep, I'm going with him or I'm going to go somewhere else. It's it's vitally important. Coach, I'm a huge believer in coaching. I mean, th- it doesn't matter what level you're at. It could be high school football. Um, you can give your kids an extreme advantage just by the X's and O's that you draw up. So, you know, and it goes beyond that as well. It goes to the, the type of person that the guy is. Um, I mean, there's so many different levels to it, but to think that you know all these guys can just roll out there, and it's just a matter of will and it's a matter of just being tougher than the other guy. that's crazy. You can do so much just with X's and O's in the scheme. you can create offense for your quarterback, you can make it easy for your offensive line. you can make it also extremely difficult so yeah i mean coaching is coaching is everything
3: did u s c recruit you?
4: No, and I'm really upset about it. You know what I am going to go. I'm going to spring ball because Lincoln, he's not going to be able to keep me off that field. I got, I have to, I have to see this thing in person. This is, uh, I told Willie McGinnis yesterday, we were doing our show. I said, look, man, I don't, I'm just tagging along. So you're just gonna to have to deal with it because I steal Lincoln's plays all the time running for my high school football team. So you're definitely bringing me with you, but you know, um, SC didn't Washington did. Uh, but then ironically, we just lost our coach at Fresno state to Washington. Yeah. So, you know, it happens everywhere.
3: Okay, what do you see? You say you steal plays when you coach uh, with Lincoln Riley. What What is separating him from a lot of these other coaches?
4: I was talking to uh, Derek about this last night because we, we both almost just left football and talking about football to go coach based on just some of the numbers that we're hearing from this guy. But honestly, when you watch his scheme, it's not that difficult, um, but it's brilliant because he has subtle changes. And Tony Dungy was like this. Tony Dungy, when he was the coach for the Colts, they on the surface it looked like they were only playing cover two or cover three every snap. But in reality, there were subtle changes that they would make to the front, to the linebacker's responsibilities, to the corner's So and it would match what you do and try to effectively take away what you're able to do um, from an offensive standpoint. And Lincoln's the same way. When you watch his offensive schemes – it looks like he only runs five plays. But those five plays have so many different uh, tweaks and combinations. And the brilliance of what he does is he'll show you something, and you'll say, oh, I got it. And there'll just be a double move off of it, or there'll be you know another element to the play. So it's almost like, um, just another example, the Seattle Seahawks. They used to play a ton of cover three, just single high. And everybody's like, oh, we know what they're doing, but no one could complete passes against them. No one could move the football. It's because the Seattle Seahawks knew exactly what they would get versus that coverage. They knew what you were going to try and do. So, you know, Lincoln's brilliance is he's going to run stuff that looks exactly the same as everything you've seen on film. He's going to hit you with a double move. He's going to hit you with a screen out the backside. He's going to hit you with something that you just didn't expect. And you're like, oh, well, that's just a one-off. Well, he does it all the time. So that's, that's the brilliance of what, of what he does is, on the surface, it's simple. It's easy to understand from an offensive uh, standpoint. From a, a, a player that just wants to roll in, you're a you're a top, you know, you're a five star recruit, you want to play receiver. You can easily go in and play in his system. You know, it's it's not a it's not a big learning curve. But but what what he does is, is subtle changes during the game are are just brilliant.
3: Best coaching job right now: Oklahoma, Notre Dame, LSU, USC.
4: I mean, I, I don't know how – just think about what SC used to do to those SEC teams. I think we forget that sometimes. You know, when, when, when Pete was there, um, they would just go in and just bounce those guys. And I know we talk about the SEC a lot, and that's a fantastic conference, and those guys obviously uh, have some of the best players, and you can make an entire football team. Hunter Renfro – who believes that Clemson could actually win like two or three games every year in the NFL, which I mean, and he's absolutely certain about it. So I get that, but I, I don't know how you can just take the kids in LA. And if you don't let them leave and you keep them at SC, you'll win the national championship every year. You know? So I think that's a great job. I don't know why. I mean, I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone here, but why do you leave Notre Dame for LSU? You know, if you're Brian Kelly, it's crazy to me. I don't understand that. Maybe I grew up in a different era where Notre Dame was, the job that you would want to have forever. But I I feel like he had a pretty good gig up there. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out.
3: Well, LSU, from what I'm told, reached out to Brian Kelly prior to the start of this season, and he said no. I think he wanted to be the all-time leader in wins at Notre Dame, which he did this year. And then then I think at age 60, then maybe he was open to the prospects of of going someplace else. I think the NFL was always sort of there, whether he wanted it or NFL teams were interested. But but LSU did reach out to start this season, from what I told and Brian Brian said no. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to understand Seattle here, David, because I I watch Russ, and Russ is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Pete Carroll's maybe a Hall of Fame head coach, I don't know. But yep. I I watch them and I I, I don't know who they are, or what they are. They were twelve and four last year. I don't know who they are this year. And if you're Russell Wilson yeah. and you're looking around going, What am I doing? Like my legacy is at stake here. And we're not going we're not going yeah. forward, we're going backwards. So what is wrong with the Seahawks? It's a hard watch. So
4: what they did, okay, so, you know, Pete Carroll has always wanted to run the football, play good defense, all right? So, I mean, you can start on the defensive side and you can say that they've gotten away from their personality. Um, Not to keep bringing up Willie McGinnis, but he's a defensive genius, in my opinion, played for one of the best defensive coaches of all time, New England Patriots. And when he watches the Seattle Seahawks, he gets visibly sick because he knows what they used to be. He knows that they used to play a certain way, and they've gotten away from their identity. They don't just play single high cover three with the kind of matching coverages underneath. They just try to do a whole bunch of stuff. They blow coverages. It's not the same. So then you go on the offensive side of the ball, and they've always been a team that runs the ball at least 50% of the time. They've led the league in run percentage pretty much since Russell Wilson and all those guys have been think about Marshawn Lynch. I mean, they were pounding the football, you know, and Russ was involved in that from the shotgun. And they were kind of at the forefront, honestly, even before teams were really doing a lot of zone runs and involving the quarterback in that, they, they were doing that with Russ. And, and for some reason, they decided that they, they looked around the league and they saw this offensive uh, scheme that's happening, you know, with the Rams and with the 49ers and now with the Packers. And it's like that Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, wide zone play action pass. And they're like, you know, if we can – and in theory this makes sense. If we can do that, we're going to run the ball anyway. Let's run the outside zone. Let's pound the rock. Let's play action passes by Russ. Some time back there that the time that he's all, always kind of created for himself and we'll buy him some time to make some big shots down the field. And in theory, it sounded good. And I think you can even hear like when, when you talk to Russ or you hear him in the interviews now, like he's excited about what Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator from the Rams is, is able to kind of put on paper. The problem is it doesn't translate yeah. because you have a quarterback and, and the Rams are going through this too. Uh, With Matt Stafford, you have a quarterback that is one of the better just drop back pass uh, quarterbacks in the league that is able to see the field and kind of delegate and kind of really dictate what he's going to do from the pocket. And when you turn your back to the defense, it's no longer on Russ. It's on your play calling and it's on the scheme to kind of carry that load. And you saw the Rams kind of get away from it. They're doing more drop back pass, and you could argue that it's hurting them a little bit. They've lost a little bit of that physical element. The the Seahawks are no different. They're just not as talented. So they're trying to do this outside zone run stretch. They're not really sold on it. You can even see the offensive line's not even sold on it because they're not really doing it. You know, they're not really pushing the pile. And they, they'll, they'll crack a couple runs, then they'll just scrap it. They'll go right to the drop back pass game. And the other thing, when you have a when you run that offensive system you tend to have better zone run blocking guys. You know, even like Trell Davis used to tell me, dude, if we had to drop back pass, even when OE was there, based on the offensive line that we had, we were going to get beat. We were going to have a hard time. But if we could keep that run going, we could play action off of it, and we'd have success. Same thing with the Seahawks. The problem is Shane Waldron is a young offensive coordinator. Russell Wilson is a, is a very vocal, um, experienced quarterback. And rightfully so, he's going to say what he wants to do. And he's always going to default to let me just do my thing from the pocket. The problem is they have an identity crisis. So they don't know who they are on the offensive side. That's why it's hard to watch. That's why it's difficult because they don't even know really what they want to do. And their best plays are still with Russ just kind of making things happen. But the problem is that's not an offensive scheme you can hang your hat on. And they're kind of just trying to figure it out right now. And that's why it looks so bad.
3: David, great to talk to you as always. We appreciate your insights. Thanks for joining us. You got it, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app.
1: It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a and b with an ocean view
0: going to come. Well,
1: the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here, along with you fans, covering
0: every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win. Relationships matter. And only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals.
3: McLovin, give me the poll question, the results, then we'll get to Marcus Spears.
2: What's the best job out there?
5: Oklahoma, Notre Dame, USC or LSU? USC number one, LSU number two. I'm sorry, Notre Dame number two, then LSU
3: number three. Hmm. Would LSU grad Marcus Spears agree with that? ESPN NFL analyst joining us on the program. Good morning, Marcus. Best college opening in the past week is where?
7: Louisiana State University. But first of all, Dan Patrick, let me say this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost in kid frame. You're a legend to me, brother. So thank you for having me, man. Like, I got to say that before we get into this interview. I'm geeked up. I just uh, texted my NFL live crew. I was like, I'm about to go on Dan Patrick's show. Don't nobody text me. I'm not responding <laughs> to anything. I'm about to talk to the legend. What's up, my brother?
3: Oh, uh, and thank you for uh, reaching out or trying to reach out to uh, say congratulations for the Hall of Fame. I did get that yes, message, sir. so thank yes, you. That was uh, very nice of you. All right, so let, now you got to remove yourself from LSU. And you got to be an analyst here. The best college okay. opening is okay. USC, Notre Dame, LSU, or Oklahoma.
7: It's LSU, Dan. And listen, here's the reason, okay? Because I want to be on the West Coast in that beautiful sunshine where you get daylight for a long period of time. You don't have to wake up super early being a guy from the south and on the east coast. but But here's the bottom line. Three coaches have won national championships at LSU. So we all know that it's doable. That's number one. Number two is you in the center of where all of these five stars, all of these big-time players come from. And in the state of Louisiana, which I don't think gets enough credit for how many really, really good players come out of that state as well. And then, too, when you think about Brian Kelly, and you think about his move, but more importantly, you think about LSU and where it is. Obviously, people say, well, Nick Saban is at Alabama. Why would you want to go coach there? Two years ago in 2019, Ed Ogeron fielded a good enough team to beat Alabama. It's very few places that you realistically believe that you can do that. And LSU is one of those. So that's why I feel like it's the better job out of them. And for a coach to leave Notre Dame, and go to LSU should tell you what the number one coaching job is in the country.
3: Well, I also think that Brian may have thought, let me be the all-time leader in victories at Notre Dame. I'm, yep. I've am i done everything I could possibly do, and it's quite a resume there. And he turned 60, and I don't know if this is a midlife crisis, but he's probably had – you gave him an offer that he couldn't refuse and yeah. probably said, hey – I'm going to pull the ripcord, and I'm gone there. And and I understand but, Lincoln Riley as well going to USC with Oklahoma coming to the SEC. I would want to be in a in a conference where I thought I could stand alone. And Oklahoma did that in the Big 12, and I think he's going to do that in the Pac-12.
7: Yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln made a phenomenal choice. And then, too, when you start thinking about what he's been able to do from an offensive standpoint, I know it's been said a lot. The quarterback at Alabama is from California. The quarterback at Ole Miss is from California. So Lincoln Riley has enough name cachet. He has two former Heisman Trophy winners and two former number one overall draft picks. You don't think he going to sit in a quarterback house and that's going to be enticing to stay at home in California and have the potential of doing that at USC. And then, two, that program outside of Pete Carroll is looking for, in, in recent history, is looking for the next staple. And I believe Lincoln thinks that he can make that type of impact and potentially become the guy that becomes synonymous with USC football. And so all of those things are are aligned for him, not, not to mention, look, he was phenomenal at Oklahoma, but Bob Stoops is going to be remembered at Oklahoma. We know Barry Switzer is going to be remembered as the guys at the university of Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley has a chance to go to USC and really carve out a niche of being one of those names, like I said before, DP, As synonymous not only with the ability to bring that program back to where they once were with Matt Lineard and Reggie Bush and all of those guys, but also be the young coach that can be there for a long time and continue that cycle going out there on the West Coast. I thought it was a tremendous move for him. I would have loved to have – let me say this. I would have loved to have Lincoln Riley at LSU as a fan because of his offensive prowess, and that's something that we saw with Joe Burrow that could take hold in in at LSU. But Brian Kelly, man, it may not be sexy. It may not make you throw a parade, but if you really deep dive into the substance of it, man got a 75% winning percentage over his coaching career. That ain't nothing to shake a stick at. And he's going to be afforded better players probably than any ever, any time ever in his career to recruit and have the chance to put out there on the field. Man.
3: Yeah, it's not a bad consolation prize for LSU. You played for Nick Saban at LSU for four years. Yeah. Did you have any idea at the time that Coach would go down in history perhaps as the greatest college football coach of all time?
7: Hell no, DP. I didn't know who (laughs) Nick Saban was. I hadn't watched a Michigan State football game ever in my life. And uh, it really came down to them in Miami. And Miami obviously was the program. My freshman year, they won the national championship. That was with the phenomenal team with Ken Dorsey and Sean Taylor and John DeVille, all of those guys. And I'm sitting there as a freshman at LSU saying, damn. I could have been a national champion my freshman year in college. But I I, I just I, – I knew this about Nick Saban through the recruiting process and then through my first year of playing. Because our first year we had a, a really good – my freshman year had a really good season. Went and played in the Sugar Bowl against Illinois, won I think 10 or 11 games that year. But you could see that – let me say that you could believe that what he was giving us, what he was teaching us, how he was setting us up, If it didn't lead to winning, if it didn't lead to a national championship, I clearly couldn't figure out what the hell you needed to do in order to win one. Because the level of attention to detail, the coaching staff that he put together, and not to mention, DP, Jimbo Fisher was on that staff. Will Muschamp was on that staff. Kirby Smart was on that staff. Derek Dooley was on that staff. Hmm. Like, so it, uh, Adam Gates was a, was a, was a, um, was a, was a, uh, what you call the, the guys? Grand a, assistant? A, a, a grand assistant, a GA on that team. So it was at the time we had wow. no idea that these guys would turn out to be this way, but we knew we had good coaches. We knew that every game we played in, we felt prepared and had a chance to win. And eventually it culminated in winning the national championship my junior year. But um I had we 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 had no idea that Nick Sab- we didn't know who Nick Saban was. But and, and this too, for all of the questions about will Brian Kelly fit in. DP, you and I know it. Everybody listening. You win, you fit in. I don't give a damn who you are or where you come from. If you win, you fit into whatever culture needs to be fitted into.
3: He's Marcus Spears, former NFL player, ESPN analyst. Uh, You can see him Monday through Friday at 4 Eastern with NFL Live, with Dan Orlovsky, Ryan Clark, Keyshawn, uh, Mina Kimes, and uh, he's also on Get Up First Take weekdays on ESPN. Um, I was watching last night. With Russell Wilson, you know, a year ago they're twelve and four, Marcus, and we're letting Russ cook. People are talking about MVP. Now they're three and eight. How's this going to end?
7: Russ is out of there, DP. You could see it. I even said it this morning, man. When when I was doing it up, is when you like the tone in that press conference after the game said a lot to me emotionally. It looks like Russ is spent. It looks like Pete Carroll has spent. And listen, it's been a great run, but things run their course. You know, I'm an LSU fan. When Les Myles, when it was time for Les Miles to go, it was time. It didn't mean that he didn't have an amount of success at LSU, but it was time to go. And that's what it looks like to me. It's almost similar to what we see with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Last year, they start running off wins early in the season, and you can start to see it tell-off. And now we're coming back to the conclusion that they held on to being probably too long. This team is not really built to facilitate a veteran quarterback going and having an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. So with Russ, you look at Seattle and, yeah, they have some talent, like Metcalf is talented. Tyler Lockett is talented. Um, The offensive line has their issues, which he addressed. Defensively, brother, they can't stop a damn nosebleed defensively. So... When you, when you think about Russ, you think about these quarterbacks that's competing for championships, Aaron Rodgers is going to be right back in the mix. Um, Tom, obviously, in Tampa, right back in the mix. You look at these situations with these veteran guys, and they got to get around teams that really has a great setup and great coaching and offensive philosophy. And we've been throwing it out there. And, and the Saints, to me, would be a good location because of the synergy that I believe he would have with Sean Payton, not to throw Jameis to the walls. He was doing fine, but Russ is an absolute upgrade. But to me, it just felt like, a, like, like finality after losing to the washington football team and then from a game breakdown standpoint dp how vanilla and generic was that offensive plan like it was you line up dk metcalf in the same spot you can't get him targets we see the deep throws to tyler lockett uh everybody gets excited about that but in what world does a russell wilson led offense not have the ability to put up 24 points in a game to be able to win the football game. But Mark, you can't convert you, third down.
3: Would you move on from Pete Carroll if it meant you could keep Russ in Seattle? Yes. If
7: Russ told me that we needed, I need to have a new infusion of offensive philosophy and a different way to approach it, absolutely. Because listen, I love Pete Carroll p Carroll, one of my favorite coaches but what i was saying earlier dp he's ran his course in seattle man and and his philosophy doesn't seem to be taking hold there and we got to let the legion of boom go brother we got to let it go uh it's not there anymore this team offensively is very generic they don't have the same run game they had with marsh and the things i don't think people realize how good the seattle seahawks were (laughs) <laughs> when they were winning Super Bowls. And we've gotten so accustomed to Russ making up for the things that they lacked and still being able to play at a very high level. This team hasn't really been what you would consider, even last year, you you brought it up, 12-4, and four, but did we really think they were a Super Bowl contender? I don't think at one point I said the Seattle Seahawks are a Super Bowl contender. It was all about letting Russ cook and how good he looked. But ultimately, I think this thing has just ran his course, and if Pete goes and they get the right type of guy, potentially it could keep Russ there. But Russ, his family life, all of those things I think are going to factor into him maybe wanting to change locations.
3: If I gave you a free shot at Keyshawn Johnson, Ryan Clark, or Dan Orlovsky?
7: Dan Orlovsky. And... I try to saw him in half, DP. I got to be honest with you. Okay. And I love him because he's my brother. But I would try to saw him in half because he has that little stinking arrogance of a quarterback that sometimes comes off that you just want to, like, you just want to make him know that you really aren't an athlete. You had a really good arm and you could throw, but you can't get away. And I would want to saw him in half. I, I, I absolutely would. And I love him. I love him, like him, have stayed at his home. His kids are my nephews and nieces. But if I had a shot on any of them, it'll be Dan. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not there you, with you, Dan Patrick. I, I'm but Dan I, I'm,
3: I'm, What if I threw Greeny in there? You want to take a pop at my Greenberg?
7: Yeah. Yeah. I want to see how long he'd be in the hospital.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, it's great to catch up with you. We hope to have you back and thank you again for all the kind words, Marcus.
7: My man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. It was fun. And have me back. Because if not, I'm going to talk about your bad on some platform. That's okay.
3: That's okay. Okay. That's that's okay. (laughs) You won't be alone in doing that. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. All right, my brother. That's uh, Marcus Spears, ESPN NFL analyst. And uh, you can see him on NFL Live Monday through Friday at 4 Eastern with uh, the host, Laura Rutledge. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app.
8: He's Mike Harmon. I'm Dan Byer. We have a brand new fantasy football podcast called I Want Your Flex. Twice a week, every Tuesday and Friday, we come up with new episodes to not only look back at
5: what happened, what you need to do at that minute, and also look ahead of what's coming up in the fantasy football world.
3: That's right, Dan. Every week we're going to scour the waiver wire to find the pickups to turbo boost your fantasy lineup Sit, start. fantasy
2: football players' rankings to get you ready to dominate the competition. Listen to I Want Your Flex with Mike Harmon and me, Dan Beyer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.
9: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Eric Hansen has covered Notre Dame since the mid-90s, 1997. And uh, he covers Notre Dame football for the South Bend Tribune. Where's this rank on shocking days? At Notre Dame and Notre Dame history, there, Eric.
8: Shocking days of my career. I've been doing this since 1983, and that was number one. I mean, I just didn't see it coming, and I'm still kind of shaking my head. Brian Kelly just finished building a new house near campus. And, um, oh boy, it was, uh, it's just, you know, a- a- as much as he's his whole identity has been tied into Notre Dame winning a national championship and him fighting to put Notre Dame in a position to make that a reality uh, and ruffling some feathers along the way. It's just an interesting left turn for me, from my perspective.
3: How would you sum up the last 24 hours? And do you think all of this happened in a 24 hour period?
8: I I do. I, I I think that, Brian was, uh, you know, was always willing to listen to people, but I don't think he thought, saw himself as walking away from Notre Dame. And, um, you know, I think it just all kind of came together. I mean, his own assistant coaches didn't know. Yeah, I know. And and, and so, uh, you know, Jack Swarbrick mentioned that, you know, he – had conversations with Brian last night. That's when they first talked about it. So, um, you know, it, it, the the thing about it is Brian did leave the program in a good place, and whoever walks in the door next is going to have a much easier job than Brian did walking in the door in December of, uh, 2009. Why did he leave? You know, I was talking to a friend of his just before we got on the air here, and, you know, I think the money had something to do with it, but I just think, you know, maybe a different challenge. Maybe he just got tired of trying to fight the same fights and uh, um, just thought, well, let's, let's try to do this somewhere else. It, it surprises, again, we're, we're still kind of walking through the shock of his own friends of his own inner circle that this happened. And so it just, I wish I had a better answer for you, Dan. Um, well, you
3: sound like somebody who is shocked.
8: I am. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm shaking my head at 60 years old, you know, to to go and, and Brian's a young 60 he takes care of himself. He does yoga. He, he has a lot of balance in his life. I mean, you know, he was the oldest coach to ever coach at Notre Dame. He's the first one to be 60 years old to be on that sideline. So he's doing something right. But, you know, his whole identity was tied in recruiting and everything else was tied into his belief when nobody else was believing him that Notre Dame could win a national championship. And and all the battles that he had to fight for the jumbotron and facilities and artificial turf that just made the traditionalists mad. You know, that was all who Brian Kelly was. And that's why, you know, right last night I wrote, he kind of broke the promise to himself that he could do this, that he could pull it off.
3: All right. So the short list of candidates to replace him.
8: You know, the two that are the most intriguing to me is Luke Fickle, who's the head coach at Cincinnati and who has no interest in being distracted from what they're trying to do this weekend with Houston. So I would be shocked if any there was any movement this week with him. And then I think Marcus Freeman's intriguing. I think it's a risk only from the standpoint that non-head coaches, non-head college coaches haven't done well in this job. And uh, no matter how talented they seem kind of coming in, and Marcus has only been at Notre Dame for a year. Boy, is he a sharp guy when you talk to him the defensive coordinator the defensive coordinator he can recruit um he he handles having six kids pretty well so he's he's a good multitasker but i think he's an intriguing pick i think it would be a risk Mm. i think that is the guy that the players are building support for i'm not sure how much of a voice they'll have in this but that's kind of who they're kind of pushing uh, Notre Dame to look at. And I think he will get a look.
3: I wonder about this, Eric. We're talking to Eric Hansen. He covers Notre Dame football for the South Bend Tribune. Let's say this is, I don't know, eight months ago, year ago, Urban Meyer's on the uh, Fox pregame show set. And you have openings, including Jacksonville, but you have Notre Dame as an opening and Urban famously, when he was leaving Utah, I think did a pit stop at Notre Dame and then didn't like what he heard and then kept going south to Florida. But Urban Meyer on the radar here at all with Notre Dame?
8: I think the circumstances that led him to leave Ohio State would be a tough sell for the Notre Dame trustees. As much as they'd love to have him, as much as that was kind of always the dream coach, I I think that would keep Notre Dame from moving on that, even if there were interested interest from Urban on the other side of that.
3: What's a better opening? USC, LSU, Notre Dame? I'd throw Oklahoma in there, but Oklahoma, I mean, if you want to, but best job out of those four.
8: I think Notre Dame is a great job. I, I think it's the hardest job of the four. Yeah. Um, You know, Oklahoma, you have Texas sitting there, USC, you have California recruiting, Louisiana per capita has great talent, and Notre Dame, you know where Notre Dame's biggest draw has been for talent in the last four years? California. And number two is Georgia. It's not Ohio or Indiana or Illinois. I mean, they're going all over the place. And I think that's, and, and now Brian Kelly's raised the bar on expectations. I think it's the most difficult of those jobs. What would be the best job? I would say probably USC, just because they have the tradition, the recruiting, and everything all rolled into one. And I think they can stop those California stars from being so transient. I mean, you look at Ohio State, their quarterbacks from California, Alabama, their quarterbacks from
3: California. <laughs> Uh, what are you well, going to do? Their
8: quarterback's from California. What are you going to do the rest of the day, Eric? Uh, oh, I got a lot of writing to do the rest of the day. I'm going to write a column on what the next steps should look like. And uh, then we have the beautiful college football playoff show tonight. Wouldn't that be <laughs> wild if all the tumblers fell and Notre Dame somehow backed into the playoff picture?
3: Well, if if somebody slips up here in these conference title games, if yeah. Alabama loses, Notre Dame may may slip in there, and then who's coaching Notre Dame in the bowl game?
8: Well, they are not gonna, or they're not gonna have an interim coach right now. I think they would appoint one at that point. But again, you're gonna have a tug of war with Brian Kelly wanting to pull some people to LSU. Oh, so, I know, I know. Uh, it may be you and me coaching Notre Dame in the bowl <laughs> game.
3: Well, Oklahoma's bringing back Bob Stoops. Can Notre Dame bring back uh, Lou Holtz or Rudy? How about Rudy coaches him?
8: <laughs> uh, then I'm leaving the beat. That that would be. <laughs> I, I'd rather see somebody from the media coach. <laughs>
3: Eric, uh, thanks for joining us. No, you got a busy day. We appreciate your time.
8: Thank you for having me on.